scripture this morning is from the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. We're going to begin our reading at verse 11. We're talking about the Christian conscience. We have a conscience. God gave it to us. It's there for a purpose. God uses the conscience. But God, through Christ, wants us to know that Christ's blood has cleansed the guilt and actually the consequences of our, our guilt and our sin. Now, the first thing that we want to see is we're going to look at primarily verses 13 and 14. There's a progress here. And what we want to see is that the Christian faith trusts, trusts that God is going to take care of all of our sin. Now, that was clearly announced in the Old Testament. Of course, that continues all the way through the New. But then there's a progress in this verse, and that progress begins to deal with that because of what Christ did in his blood, that God, through Christ's sacrifice, was going to cleanse our conscience. Now that would be the actual conscious before God of our sins, and it should work in our lives to deal with, well, the, the emotional side of the consciousness of our sins. But then there's even another progress forward in this text in that it tells us that Christ has done these things that we could serve the living God. Now, when you go into the Old Testament, primarily it was the priest in the Levites who did the serving of God. But when you come into the New Testament, what we're being told is that each and every one of us now have the ability in Christ to serve the living God. So with that, let me read this passage of Scripture. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may, be, may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's a songwriter and musician, his name is Michael Kelly Blanchard, and you might want to check him out. And he writes a song, I love you, I do, you bet. And it's got three sections to the song, and at each 
section, it ends basically this way. There's nothing so bad you can't confide in me, no heartbreak or lasting regret, nothing so sad you try to be free of that I won't forgive and forget. Nothing so sad you try to be free of that I won't forgive or forget. That would be the gospel to us through this passage of scripture. The Christian faith is the trust that we have that God is going to overcome all of our sin. Now, when we look at this in verse 13, it's talking about the blood of the sacrifice, primarily the sacrifice that was offered on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. It was an annual event. Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies and he'd present the blood of the bull and the goat. And in presenting this blood, he would then confess before God the sins of the nation. And I don't know how long this ritual ceremony would take, but he would be in there, the people would be outside waiting for him, and then after he had completed this, he would come out knowing that God had, ex well, cleansed their sin, but also accepted them again. And, and the people rejoiced wildly over this, the idea that their God had, as it were, put away their sin and they belonged to him. And this, this was a, a thing of great rejoicing. Now, the people of the Old Testament were people of faith. Sometimes we get it wrong and think that the New Testament people are only the people of faith. But when you, you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, you see a whole list of the people of the Old Testament. There's one thing that we're being told about every one of those people and that those people were faithful. That's what we're being reminded. Now, when we look into the New Testament, it, it's like that. So often, when a New Testament writer wants to talk about what faithfulness looks like, the faithfulness they go to is the faithfulness of these Old Testament saints. And so, these people trusted in God's institutions. They trusted in the high priest. They trusted in the Levitical system. They trusted in all these sacrifices. They trusted that this is the way God worked. And if, if they had their faith in these things, then they benefited from what God was doing and, and they would know that their, their sins were forgiven. Now, some of the people that are listed in this chapter of 11, one of them's David. And we're all familiar with Psalm 51, where he confesses his own particular sin. It's a very grave sin, and he's very sure that God has forgiven it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this iniquity. But then in Psalm 32, he says, how blessed is the man whose sins are covered, to whom God will not impute iniquity. Now, you'll find that verse quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 5. He's talking about justification by faith there. And then in Psalm 103, he says it again in a very vivid way. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he put our transgressions away from us. Now that's, and you think, well, if you 
you just keep going east, you know, you keep going east. If you keep going west, you just keep going west. And the idea is that God wants us to understand he has separated our sins from us like that. And again, that's the good news of the Old Testament. Isaiah could say it again in another word picture. Your sins, they're like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. They're crimson, they'll be like wool. But then when we come to Jeremiah, there's this progression. Something else happens here, and we read this a moment ago uh, together, and it, it's the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament, and it's uh, Jeremiah 31, and he says there's a coming age. There's something coming. It's out in the future. Look for it. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to write my law on your heart and in your minds, and I'm never going to remember your iniquities anymore. Your sins I will remember no more. So we see this great progress in God revealing himself to his people. Now, we might right away, you know, if, if you're, you might not be tuned to the Bible all that much and you want to say, well, uh, philosophically, I know there's something that's got to be true. God can't forget anything. And here he's saying in, in the scripture, he is going to, well, he's going to forget our sins. Well, how do we take that? Well, it's a, again, it's another vivid word picture. It's just something that's said in a poetic way to give us a concrete reality. The concrete reality is this. In God's relationship with us, he will never bring our sins up before us, in front of us, or anybody else, ever. So as you're relating to God, you can have this assurance. God's not going to bring your sins up to you. You know, we talk about sin, it's very concrete. Our confession of faith talks about it, that sin is any want of conformity, any want of conformity to the law of God. Any way you deviate from the law of God, that's a concrete sin. But it's also, we tend to think more of sin as something that's a, like a direct violation where we go just against God. And yes, that's a sin too, and it's concrete, and we sin in many ways. Um, we had our two grandchildren here for a couple of days. The youngest boy is two, and he is a handful and a joy. But when things aren't going the way he wants them to go, he's got one word for it, and that word is no. So they're getting ready to leave. Now, this child thinks that the door is going to close and Mama's going to drive him home. He's all about it. And then all of a sudden, Grandfather says, well, before you leave, let me pray. And he starts going, no, no, no. And I'm trying to pray, and he's going, no. Now, he learned that early, didn't he? Now, look in the mirror and realize <laughs> you're still saying what? No. <laughs> Whose way do you want? Yeah, I got it. Well, there you go. So, this is, sin's concrete. You know, there's some emotional baggage with sin, too. Guilt, guilty conscience, 
Guilt before God is concrete. The guilt we often deal with in our conscience is very subjective, but God is interested in that. Now, what is promised here? What is promised in this passage in verse 13 is this, that the animal sacrifices were going to cleanse, and they did it and God's people celebrated it. But what Jesus did in his sacrifice in the Old Testament is anticipated because these people did not have the level of cleansing that the people of the New Testament enjoy, that God has actually forgotten our deeds and will hold them before us no more. Now here's a couple of examples. There's a 95-year-old man. When he was very young, late teenagers, maybe 20, he is in Europe at the end of World War II. And he and the others that he is with are put in a place of great sexual immorality. And this man falls into all of that for an extended period of time. Now, he's raised in the Presbyterian Church. He used to brag to me about those churches. He comes home, he marries, has a child. He outlives his child, he outlives his wife, and I'm speaking with him, and finally he says one day, you know, I'm concerned, will God forgive me of my sin back then? Well, I'm dealing with this passage in 1 John 1, 9, if any man, if you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us our unrighteousness. He says, will you just pray for that? And I said, yeah, I prayed. And I'd come back and then he would say, before I'd leave, he says, would you have one of those little prayers again? I'd say, well, yes, I'll have it. And I'd go over the same thing. And finally, after some extended period of time, he says, I know. If I confess my sin, and I did, God's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. And I says, good, good. All right, now here's a young lady. She's right out of college, right out of grad school. She says, can I speak with you? I said, surely. And we sat down and talked, and she told me about things that had occurred in her life in high school and in the early years of college before she became a Christian. And she says, well, what's the future for me with this? And so I took her to this same passage we're looking at, and I says, what is God saying he's going to do? He says he's going to cleanse my conscience from what I did. I says, that's exactly what he is promising. Do you have faith that he will do that? And she said, yes. And she did. I've known this lady now for going on 30 years, and I've watched how the Lord has worked in her life. Two illustrations. Now, you basically, where you're at today, whatever age you are, you can choose to be one of those two people. You can choose to bring your sin and your guilt and your shame, the real side of it, which is against God, and the emotive side that you feel, and you can just basically say to God, 
Please, Lord Jesus, give me the assurances of your promises and help me in faith to accept what you've done. And in accepting what he's done, we need to realize what he's promising. Your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Well, we have a propensity. And the propensity is this. We tend to remember what we should forget, and we tend to forget what we should remember. And what the Lord wants us to do is remember what he has said. Remember what he has said. When you're tempted to dwell on things that you've done, when you tend to dwell on the emotions that you feel, you need to remember what God has said in his word and what Jesus' blood has done for you. And we're told very clearly and concretely, and it's repeated in this few verses or few chapters over and over again, he wants to make your conscience perfect. That's the language. He wants you to be free. So when we shift gears here for a second, we see that that's what's being promised. He promises us in Christian faith, trust that our consciences are cleansed from sin. It was at this point that the first sermon ended outside and the fountain pen ink is quite, well, there you have it. But what we're promised here is a true cleansing. Notice what it's saying in verse 14. It's quite different than verse 13. Can you see the difference in verse 14? He begins it, how much more? How much more? If, if God did all of these marvelous things for the Old Testament people based on animal sacrifices, how much more will he do for us based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And that's what we're being told here. The Father is involved in this. The Father sent the Son to be the sacrifice. God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the Father sent his Son into the world to be this high priest so that our sin would be totally cleansed away. Jesus is the one who said, our Father. When you pray, you say, our Father. The relationship is open. It's open like a little child, just gently looking up and saying, Father, and you know whatever the Father's asked by the children, the Father seeks to provide. It's the Holy Spirit. Now you see the second, per first person of the Trinity, third person of the Trinity. Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is united to Jesus in the sacrifice sanctifying this sacrifice, making this sacrifice powerful. Now here's just a little phrase for you. Everything that Jesus has accomplished for us, the Holy Spirit is in the business of accomplishing in us. You hear that? Jesus has accomplished this sacrifice and the Holy Spirit is in the business of coming to you moment by moment 
and working the effect of that sacrifice in your mind and in your heart. Now, if you would, the, the first service, this is the blip right here. So from what you're getting now, they didn't. But if you, if you turn to chapter 10, verse 22, it says to us, let us draw near with a sincere heart in a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is God's Maytag. You remember the Maytag commercials? Where was the Maytag repairman always pictured? He was always at the repair shop playing solitaire. Why was he there? Because Maytags don't break. That was, that was the, the picture, Maytags don't break. And the promise here in chapter 10, verse 22, that this goes on and on and on. And it's, Christ is doing this for us, but we have to avail ourselves of it. We have to turn to him. What's the language? In Christian faith. And in Christian faith, we know this. And Jesus came willingly. How much more would be accomplished from a willing sacrifice, a conscious sacrifice, a pure and holy sacrifice, not an animal, but the blessed Son of God has come to be the sacrifice for your conscience. Years ago, Chip led a man to the Lord, used to sit right over here, his name was Bill Jones. Now, Bill Jones in Macon, Georgia was a rounder. He had a reputation, he lived up to it. But he came to church, Chip met with him for a month, and at the end of a month, this man professed faith in Christ, and Chip says, I'm done with him, he belongs to you, and I met with him for a couple of years the rest of his life. And it was a joy, about every week, I'd go to his little condo, and we would talk, and he'd ask questions. And one of his questions was this, why? Why if Jesus and God the Father has forgiven my sins, why do we every week have a confession of sin? My sins are forgiven. <laughs> now, I want to tell you, there's something about what Bill Jones was saying there that's right. <laughs> to go week by week and think that that's when your sins are forgiven is almost to go back to the Old Testament and wait for the Day of Atonement and say you need this reinforced like the high priest is doing it. No, Bill Jones had it right. Our sins are cleansed away. And God wants to cleanse your conscience from dead works. Now I want you to think of Saul of Tarsus. And shift gears. Was there any man who did violence to the church, blasphemed Jesus' name more than him? He was confronted by God he was converted by God, and he was commissioned by God. So the third thing that you see here is the Christian faith wants us to serve God. We trust this. In each of the Gospels, you have a situation. 
And the situation ends at the end of Christ's life with the denial of Jesus by Peter three times. I doubt if any one of you has been guilty of such a thing. But Peter is met by Jesus. Now, notice that Jesus, he's much better counselor than I am. He lets, he comes and he says to Peter, you know, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, yep. He says, notice, tend my lambs. Right away, Jesus says, you're cleansed, now go to work. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I, I do. All right, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. I don't know what you've done. You've done it against God. You've done it against others. You know it. You, it's, it's time to be done with it. It's time for you to accept what Christ has done. How do you show that you're going to accept what Christ has done? You realize he set you free to serve him. And you go and find a place in whatever kind of a place that would be. You know, here, here's just a very simple way. You have family and you have friends that you know are ridden with, with guilt in their conscience. Some of it is superficial, some of it's subjective, some of it's very real. And you could take these two verses and show them to them and says, this is what God has spoken to me about. This is what I've come to believe is true about me. How can you serve God? One of the ways you can serve God is to pass on what you've found to be true about you and your relationship with God. It happens over and over again. Saul of Tarsus, Peter, you remember the Gadarene demoniac? As soon as he is converted, as soon as he was cleansed, he said, Lord, I want to go with you. Jesus said, no, I want you to go and tell others what great things God has done for you. I want you to ask yourself a question. When was the last time you've told anybody about the great things God's done for you? This is the pattern, and I want to encourage you. I don't want to lay a burden on you, but God's done great things for you. Matthew the tax collector, Zacchaeus, Memorize Hebrews 9.14. Exercise faith. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Look for an opportunity. Talk to one of the pastors and one of the leaders in one of the congregational communities. There are many things we could encourage you to do, and we want to. May God bless us to look at this in faith. Father, faith. We see faith in the book of Hebrews. We see growing faith in the book of Hebrews. We see relieving faith in the book of Hebrews, cleansing faith. Would you bless us? 
would you, will you pour out your spirit and rain upon the first service? Pour out your spirit upon us and let the showers of blessing come upon us that we would know that we've been with you and that you've spoken to us and sent us in joy on our way. And we make our prayer in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.